Welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and this is episode 91 of Shut Up and Wrestle with my guest, wrestling journalist and slam wrestling contributor, Jamie Hemmings. We'll get to my conversation with Jamie in just a moment. A few things I wanted to go over first. First, I wanted to make mention of the passing of somebody who may not be extremely well-known in the world of wrestling, but was somebody who was a great example of making a decent living for a long time in the territorial era of wrestling. Howard Newell, who was best known on the territorial scene as journeyman wrestler Bill Howard, passed away since the last time that we recorded. Bill Howard also was known for his notorious gimmick, Retamius, which was kind of a wild man gimmick that he used back in the 70s in Memphis. Also brought it back again for the Paphos ICW in the early 80s. But he was a guy who was able to make a living as a journeyman pro wrestler throughout the 60s, 70s, and early 80s, something that is very difficult to do these days except for a select and lucky few which is one of the reasons that we love to talk about the old school eras, the territorial eras of professional wrestling here on Shut Up and Wrestle. So first and foremost, our thoughts and prayers are with the family and friends of Howard Newell, Bill Howard. Also wanted to give you guys a quick update on Irresistible Force, the life and times of Gorilla Monsoon. I'm excited to say that I finally made my way through the drudgery of interview transcriptions. For anyone who has done any kind of writing work or journalism, it is the worst part of the job. I had to go through about 40 interviews, the last one being my interview with Cowboy Bill Watts. And now that that one is done and transcribed, I am ready to leap headlong, feet first, into the actual writing process of Irresistible Force. And I'll continue to keep you updated on that, my latest book project. Also wanted to make quick mention, this is something I was thrilled to finally do. I recently made an appearance on yet another great Arcadian Vanguard podcast, which I was happy to do. We've been trying to make this happen for about a year now, and we finally did. Breaking kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. I was honored to be their guest on their most recent episode. I believe they broke it up into a two-parter. It is part of their Patreon subscription, so if you are a Patreon subscriber to Breaking Kayfabe, which I have a feeling that a lot of the Arcadian Vanguard listeners and people who listen to this show just might be Patreon subscribers, go and check out the episodes with me as a special guest on the show, and maybe if you're not a subscriber to their Patreon, consider becoming one. Breaking Kayfabe 
with Bowdrin and Barry. Thanks, guys, for having me on once again. And now let's get to my own conversation this week. Jamie Hemmings, somebody that I've known for a number of years. We talked about this on the episode, on the conversation that you're about to listen to, and I think you're going to enjoy it. We cover a wide range of topics going from wrestling journalism and just journalism in general. We talk about the phenomenon of magazines and how much we miss them. We talk a little bit about women's wrestling and its importance and its growth. We talk about the Attitude Era possibly being um, a rather overrated era in wrestling history. So it's hot take week here on Shut Up and Wrestle. Um, I hope you enjoy this conversation that I had with my good friend and colleague, Jamie Hemmings. And I'm going to take you to that conversation right now. Okay, so it's my pleasure this week on Shut Up and Wrestle to welcome to the show uh, a wrestling journalist who I have known since I put out my second book, Pro Wrestling FAQ, because the first time we talked was an interview that she did with me for that book. She has been a writer for quite a while for Slam Wrestling, which is how many of you may know her work. She's also the co-host of the Figure Gore podcast and a longtime wrestling fan. I'm talking about Jamie Hemmings. Jamie, thank you so much for coming to the show. Oh, I'm so thrilled. I love your podcast. I'm excited. Thank you so much. And I know I was telling you before we started that even though it's an audio-only podcast, I wish people could see you have so much cool memorabilia behind you. It looks like it's not even just it's not even just merchandise and stuff. It's like signed pictures and belts and things. It's just it's really cool. And books, because when I was the previous editor, book editor for Slam Wrestling, I have a lot of wrestling books. So I have an entire bookshelf dedicated to just wrestling <laughs> books. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us, especially if you're listening to this show, we have that bookshelf in the house where it's just the wrestling books. And I know for some people, those are the only books, you know, <laughs> for some yes. of us. But for some of us, it's that special, dedicated section. I have it, too. I also have this experience. I've been through so many moves and things. And, you know, I it's, it's like you regret sometimes that you don't still have them all. There's some books over the years. And it's not, it, I mean, it's with all my books because I have a huge book collection. But with the wrestling books... I'll over the years say, ah, you know what? I read that one a couple of times. I don't really need it. I'm going to save some space or, you know, uh, I don't need this one. And you always wind up regretting it and and wishing that you never tossed the book. I have moved a lot because um, my husband's in the military. So um, wrestling books, I tend to keep them. Like if it's like a fiction, like I read a lot of thrillers and stuff. So I'll pass those on to people. But the wrestling books I keep but what's always funny is the military packs us up and they come in and they'll see all the wrestling stuff and they'll be like wow your husband's a big wrestling fan I'm like no 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 that's that's mine and <laughs> a lot of the books and I make sure they're fed and watered properly because I have so many books so and I don't want them to I want them to be gentle with the books so. it's is that something that happens a lot because I have to say I know it's like a cliche question but you know, I have the same thing happen because I write a lot about comic books and things like that, where people always assume that the fan base is largely men. And I always feel like it's tougher to be a fan as a woman because people will just kind of like assume 
you know, that first of all, like you said, it's your husband or or then they'll give you the whole thing like, oh, you're not like a real fan. Do you know, like who beat Terry Funk for the world heavyweight title in 1977? You know, like that kind of thing. And that happens all across genre stuff, horror movies. You yeah. know, I, I do a lot of work with horror movies and there's always that skepticism. Sports. I mean, it happens everywhere. Do you find that at all? I do. And actually, I have a story. Um, when I was on internship for journalism school, I went way up north in Saskatchewan. I'm from the province of Saskatchewan, but I'd never been. It was LaRange, Saskatchewan, way up north, very isolated community, really cold. This was the winter semester. And um, WrestleMania uh, 20 came out. And um, I was living with this wonderful family. But, if, you know, this was before the network. This is before, you know, you still have to pay for pay-per-views. And I didn't want to, you know, buy it and, you know, have a charge on their cable bill. I would have paid them. But I was like, you know, is anybody showing it? And there was no movie theater. But they actually, um, the people I lived with said, oh, they're showing it at the bar. And we might know someone who could go with you. And I said, okay. So he came and picked me up. And uh, we went to the bar. And we were talking about wrestling and that in the car. And how excited it was to see WrestleMania and stuff. And then we get there. And I'm like the only girl there. And all these guys are like, who is this? You know what? And uh, he went, no, she knows more than any of you guys put together since I've, I've met her. She's cool. You leave her alone. So it's kind of funny. Because sometimes it can be, like you said, intimidating. And yes. I know, like, for example, this is a, a different kind of example because, you know, I remember when I was in college, um, I had a girlfriend and I was going to see I got tickets to go to the ECW arena. Okay. This was 1995, the heyday of the ECW arena. And we were going to see, it was uh November to remember, Oh, which nice. is one of the most like famous ECW yes. cards ever. It's the night that it was like, you know, uh, Steve Austin versus I think Mikey Whipwreck, I think was on that. And like Terry Funk and Tommy Dreamer teamed up. They had, they had Ray Mysterio versus psychosis. I mean, it was nuts. Great card, uh, yeah. It was Public Enemy's last appearance before they went to WCW. And anyway, like, I I think I, I've told this story before, but I had to leave halfway through, which I still think about to this day, <laughs> because the girl I was with, who incidentally eventually became my first wife, but uh, the girl I was with was getting, like, hassled so badly. And oh, no. she was feeling so uncomfortable. And, you know that she kind of politely asked if we could leave. And I felt so bad that how can I tell her? No, no, just sit oh, here exactly. and, con and continue to feel uncomfortable while I watch, you know, the eliminators wrestle um, for anybody that's been, that went to the ECW arena. I mean, in those days, I don't know what it's like now, the 2300, but it was, you know, amazing, of course. And you're witnessing like wrestling, like you've never seen before in those days. But it was a rough place, okay? It's a rough part of town, a rough building, a rough crowd. And they were all regulars. This was before ECW wasn't even on pay-per-view yet. They were people that were there, like, every show, the same seats. And it could be a little, like, you walk in there and it's, like, needle off the record, you know? And here I am with this, like, young, attractive girl who, in her case, not a huge wrestling fan. She was there for me. And they just made her feel so, I don't know, like out of place 
that she wanted to go. And so I think that and that kind of stuff goes on, too, I think a lot. I think it happens less now. I think the fan base so. is more welcoming now. But back then, that was a pretty common occurrence. And that's never happened to me, which I'm glad. And I, I feel for her because wrestling always I enjoyed being at the show. It felt like home because for mm-hmm. the longest time, I didn't talk about being a wrestling fan because I was bullied because of it. And now with social media and going to shows, it just feels like it's just more welcoming. And it's kind of like people talk about it more. And and there's a I felt always felt a community. So I've never felt like that. And there's been times I've gone to an indie show and I'm glad I didn't bring my young son. Oh, yes. Oh, but, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was like, oh, good. I won parenting today. I didn't bring my kid. You know, like, that's the only thing, like, just, you know, the language or people really, you know, acting obnoxious, but nothing threatening to me. So that's the only thing I've, I'm just, because I do feel wrestling, you should be able to take your kids. But I do know that some of these indie shows is probably not the best idea to take him. But like any other, the like, we've been to an AEW show this year. We just went to the last Raw We've been to a SmackDown at a previous place we lived and everything and, and lots of house shows and everything's been like he's had a great time. So, well, it's, so. it's kind of a weird thing that's happened in the culture in yes. the last generation or so where this is something that's fascinated me where like so many things that were once thought of as not like it's just for kids, but that it's OK for kids, you know, except <laughs> kids love this, whatever it is, have been like co-opted in a lot of times by adults who in some cases i guess just uh, i'm gonna get killed for this but in some (laughs) cases the reason is they want to keep feeling like they're kids you know that like like they are still kids yeah and you see it happen i've you know because i'm a fan of a lot of these things you see it happen with comic books right the the rap on comic books was always like they're for kids these are books for kids like in the old days if you were an adult reading a comic book it looked like you were like a moron. Like people would judge you like, oh, this person didn't read a real book. Yeah. Yeah. This person's like a mental (laughs) midget or something, you know? And, but that's not the case anymore at all. In fact, most of them are written for adults, you know, and it happened with, um, uh, uh, well, wrestling is another one, but there was another one I was thinking of too. Well, I mean, look at Halloween, Halloween, right? I don't know if we're the same age or similar, but I think you're significantly younger than me, but I'm 42. All right. Slightly younger than me, yeah. but uh, if um, you know, on ha- Halloween was a holiday for children, it was strictly for children. You never saw, unless maybe it was parents trying to get into the spirit with their kids, you never really saw grown ups dressing up, especially if they weren't going to a party or something. You know what right. I mean? Maybe if they were going to a Halloween party, but it was really just a thing for kids. And I feel like what <laughs> to bring it back to wrestling. I, I like you said, I don't think wrestling should just be strictly this juvenile thing for kids. You know, like the yeah. WWF 30 years ago was like strictly for children. But I do think for the most part, it should be okay to bring your yeah. kid. And maybe yeah. I'll get beat up for that. But I think like because of the culture I'm talking about, this co option, there's like a whole subsection of wrestling. And fine, it is what it is. That's totally not for children at all. And that's yeah. not something that used to exist. But, you know, I've had that experience where I'll go to an indie show, like you said, and I have had the experience of having my kids there. And I guess that's on me and being like, oh, my 
God, what are these people saying? Like, it's a different vibe when you go to a WWE show. It's much more family friendly. And I feel like I got to when I'm bringing my young son who's six, I have to confine it to that for now. Because I find even an AEW crowd I found was a little rough for my six year old son. Okay. Yeah, it's. I believe you should be able to take kids, but like you said, you you do know if you go to an indie show, you're kind of taking a risk. Right. So I just haven't taken him to a lot of those ones, and he he's more familiar with WWE in that, anyways. So I think you know it just suits him better. But I like being able to take him because when I or when the Attitude Era was going on, which is my least favorite era, mm. and especially being female, it was so tough to be a wrestling fan. And I'd even have friends like, why are you watching this? Like they'd hear about it and they weren't even wrestling fans. And they'd hear about, you know, Katie Vick and all this other crap and Braun Panties matches. And they're like, Jamie, I thought you are a feminist. Why do you watch this? You know, like, <laughs> so I love that, you know, and I realized like, you know, I'm good friends with Madman Pondo. There's death matches. There's all sorts of, um genres in wrestling and you know no i'm not gonna necessarily take my son to a death match right now i don't think he'd have any interest he doesn't like horror or violence a lot of that stuff he's not into that so um you know i i don't want it to just be for kids but when i take my right. son i for something for that is appropriate for him but i'm glad that you mentioned the attitude era because uh again this is going to be the episode where brian solomon gets killed by all his fans but i mean <laughs> Um, the last episode everyone <laughs> i am one of those people that looks back on it now i know you get these people that are like it was the greatest time ever it'll never be like that again and i'm like really i you know it's like you have to separate it um business wise yes i i under, i completely get it i understand yeah. but but people say this who aren't in the business people say this who weren't making money from it you know yeah like vince russo could say that vince mcmahon if he wants to say oh those were the best days of course they were you're yes. getting rich yeah. Uh, but creatively, I do think it's very, very, very overrated. And I want to say, and I'm not one of these people that says this now only, because even back then, I I really was very uncomfortable with it. And I was a young guy. I was in my 20s. I was Target demo. Yeah. And I was like, I was like you said, I used to watch wrestling with my family, with my parents. And it got to the point where I felt uncomfortable, like I couldn't. My dad would be like, Brian, what the hell is this? Like, what are, what are you watching? What is this? Or my uncle. I had an uncle, one of these classic. I've talked about him before, like old school wrestling fans. You know, I had a, a bachelor uncle. He used to watch wrestling going back to the 60s. You know, he's one of the reasons I got into it. And he'd be like, oh, my God, like he stopped watching. And he'd been watching for like 30 years. You know, I think it was like Pat Patterson giving a stink face with like a uh you remember what i'm talking about where he had like um, a skid mark on his underwear yes oh and my uncle see my uncle remembered pat patterson for okay he knew oh, him no. as the intercontinental champion pat patterson as the announcer pat patterson and right. he was like brian or brian what what are they doing i think i was even working there at the time and he's like brian what are they what are you guys doing over there you know and i did find that um, there was a lot of content that I could not get with the the super sexualized stuff. I I didn't really mind the violence so much because I felt like if anything, wrestling needed a little jab of a little more yeah, intensity. It had gotten too safe. There was no blood ever and things like that. But yeah. but 
It was the sexualizing of things. I, I, I just didn't think that belonged in wrestling. And it wasn't even just that kind of edginess. It was all that, like, that's the beginning of getting all of the, like, vignettes where you just break the fourth wall and you just have a camera, you know, like you're watching a soap opera. Like, that was the beginning of that kind of stuff. It was the beginning of just this, like, short attention span booking yeah. with title changes and people turning heel and face and, con you know, I'm one of these people that I was enjoying wrestling. Sue me. Sue me. I was enjoying wrestling in the early to mid 90s when everybody said it sucked. I was finding things I liked. You know, I didn't like Duke the Dumpster Drossy. OK, I didn't like the Shockmaster, but I was finding things that I did enjoy in the WWF. You know, you had Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. WCW yeah. had amazing stuff. Rick Rude, Ricky Steamboat, all that, you know. ECW was exploding. I was finding things I liked. And then, and I know it's ironic I say ECW, but it's like they were underground. I could kind of get it more. They were like the punk rock of wrestling. But then in the late 90s, like I, I really felt creatively for me, both companies kind of went downhill. I know maybe I'm in the minority opinion on that. No, I agree. And it was a time that I was like, I would skip a week or two. Like I just, mm -hmm. you know, I was also, um, going into you know higher grades of education and stuff like that so yeah it just was it just was like eh, you know I don't want to put two hours in right you know tonight or you'd record it and watch it like later in the week like it wasn't as big a deal to watch it that night yeah it, it was a really tough time it just um because it's like where's the wrestling that you too know? yeah you look back on it you can revisit all these episodes now yeah the wrestling's not that great no. you know maybe some of the storylines are compelling I think Austin McMahon yeah. was was yeah, brilliant yeah. they did great stuff but when yeah. it gets to the stuff in the ring you're like what is this and again it was that vince russo mentality and if you watch the most recent dark side not the most recent but the dark side of the ring episode bash at the beach with russo on yes. it he yes. talks about his booking philosophy and yes. you understand why where he's like yeah quick wrestling match get that over with and then Dang we it. get we get back to like mark henry in bed with may young you know what i mean like that was where his focus was that yeah. kind of stuff and that's why a lot of the matches are, you know, very missable, you know, for every Stone Cold versus The Rock, you know, there's like Val Venus versus Midian or something like that for like three minutes, you know, that kind of thing. And again, it's like for I, I, it was one of those eras. I almost felt like what it must have felt like in the mid 80s for people that had been longtime fans where all of a sudden you're like, this isn't for me. Like they're not they're not doing this for wrestling fans. They're trying to get. All the cool kids to watch. They're yeah, trying to get more people, yeah. right, more mainstream people that don't really like wrestling, and they're kind of leaving people like me out of the equation. Like that was yeah. the feeling that I that I was starting to get. Yeah, I didn't feel like this. I belong there anymore. Like this wasn't. Yeah, it just wasn't enjoyable, like you said. And this wasn't, especially being a woman. I was like, yeah, the, okay, another bra and panties match or ball gown match. Like it just. Those were the ones that, that, for me, they literally were popcorn matches. I don't like to say that, but yeah, you'd go take a bathroom break or, or something because you just, it just was not, for me, it was not what I was watching the show for. And I think it set a standard too, especially for women's wrestling, which even to this yeah. day, I think they have trouble overcoming the stigma of where you have so many fans that still think of women's wrestling as the bathroom break. Uh, yeah. but it's really not anymore. I mean, sometimes it's the best match on the show, 
And you definitely don't want to go to the bathroom when it's going on. But there's still that attitude of like, oh, Christ, it's the women again, you know, and it's not based. I mean, I'm convinced it's not based on what they're actually doing in the ring. It's based on prior experience of this Pavlovian dog thing. Oh, it's the women. Okay, I'm out of here. You know, that's why to me, being a wrestling fan, like it was so important and so integral when women main evented wrestlemania because it's not something i ever like yeah we main evented raw uh trish and lita well we you know it's like like i was there but um the but that wrestlemania and you know i don't know if people, it wasn't my favorite match of all time but just it just meant so much just being a female wrestling fan I never thought i'd see because the main event that was for the boys you know that was always the it was always the men and and to see that like it just for me that was just such a big moment like like I said not my favorite match ever but it was just the moment just something I thought I'd never see well it was very history making even yes. if like you said uh I think maybe they dropped the ball a little on the execution yeah. of it I yes. don't think the match came off that great and I think it's unfair when people say like well you see we shouldn't have you know women in the main event and I'm oh. like really so like if you had a male main event that didn't go off well or sucked, like sometimes happen. Are you going to say, well, we can't have men in the main event anymore because of that one match? I mean, come on, come on. You know, I think like Rhea Ripley versus Bianca Belair, I could see as being a WrestleMania main event. I could see it as a main event, even if it was one night, you know, I mean, they're they're that good and you could build a story around it. But um, I think that, you know, the problem is that, Sometimes people, and I want to say this for people that are new, maybe newer fans or fans only in the last like 10, 15 years or so, people are sometimes quick to judge uh, when they look back at the history of women's wrestling. And one thing that I think, uh, you know, we'll probably agree on is you got to understand that in the past, you know, women's wrestling was looked on as like a special attraction. It wasn't really part of the roster show for any company. It was like the women were like, uh, you know, I mean, it's true. The the women were looked at like the midgets, like you'd have midget wrestling. Oh, the midgets are coming to town. Cowboy Lang, Sky Lolo, Lord Littlebrook. And then it would be like, oh, here come the girls, the lady wrestlers, fabulous moolahs here, Judy Martin, Sherry Martell. It was like a touring package and they'd go from area to area they never stuck around long. And typically, even if they if you did get a match or if they did stick around, like even years later when WWF kind of had their own mini division, it would just be like, we have a champion, we have a challenger. That's the yeah. entire division. You know, when the champion beats this challenger or who beats who, then the loser will disappear and a new challenger will appear. And that's our women's division. So, like, we're very spoiled. Come back in a spider lady costume. (laughs) Well, like, I'm even thinking of the Alundra Blaze era where you had your champion, and she would have whatever challenger. So it was Bull Nakano. Okay, she she beat Bull Nakano. Okay, Aja Kong is here now. You know, and that was your division. So, like, we're very spoiled today. This is the first time. This is the first time because even if you go back to the time of Mildred Burke, who's probably still the biggest women's star ever, right? Even she was a special attraction. This is the first time in wrestling history where there's a concerted effort to have women's wrestling be like an integrated part of the card. Where you know, so like, like what 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 I'm what I'm saying this for this long winded thing is that people will go like, well, it should be fifty fifty. Why isn't it fifty fifty men and women? And I think like 
you really need people really need to have that historical perspective like what is happening now is truly revolutionary i don't know if it'll ever be 50 50 but you know you're going from something that was used to be considered like a special almost like a freak show attraction the oddity of seeing women rolling around on a mat and now they're like a serious major part of the show every single week in every major company that's huge and it's not just that based on their looks or anything like these are really talented women not that you know like Rhea Ripley I think she's a very attractive lady but she's also she's damn good she's just she's one of my favorites right now I'm just obsessed with her so you know it's it's because a lot of times they were hiring models that was also attitude era and you know okay ladies we'll teach you a couple moves a couple bumps and that was about it so these are they've, they've put in the time they're talented and that's the other thing like we're getting and you know we had good quality wrestling with Trish and Lita nothing against like Trish was a fitness model coming in but you know she worked her ass off and she is a talented wrestler but it's just to see that there's so many of them now and they're they've genuinely put in the work they've been given the opportunity to train they're not just tired because of how they look I mean looks are always going to be a part of it because it's a television show but um it's just, it, oh, it's just, it is revolutionary and it, it's an exciting time and it's been a long wait, especially for us female fans. I agree. And, you know, I, there's, like you said, looks are always going to be a part of it. Looks are, you know, visual appeal and aesthetics are a part of it, even for the men. Mm-hmm. Although I, I will firmly admit not nearly as much as it is for the women. Cause I think one thing we got to look at is, and I think th- this has changed in recent years, too. And I'm not going to, like, mention people because I don't want to be like, well, this this person's more attractive than this person. Yeah, but yeah. but we're really seeing now more than ever that that's not always the deciding factor. Just like with the men, you could have different appearances. You could have different yeah. styles. You could have different looks. Like, there are male wrestlers that are appealing to female fans. and But you don't – but but you don't have to be. Like, you could have right. different looks. And I think – that is the way it should be for the women too, where we're not yeah. just looking at them as, you know, uh, Oh, they're, they're great wrestlers, but they're also nice to look at. Like they don't always have to be nice to look at as, you know, the, the most important thing is that they're, they're great at what they do. Yeah. And, you know, and I think again, that that's a direction we've been moving in more and more lately, but you're right about the fitness model thing. Like I remember, you know, when I was at WWE um, and not even just fitness models, sometimes swimsuit models. Yeah. When I was at WWE, when JR was in talent relations, he really did make a concerted effort to work, to do the best with what he had. That was the Trish, Lita, Victoria, Jackie kind of era where they were trying to move away from the Attitude Era stuff and do more like serious, like good matches and things and like get them to know how to work. And Trish was like the great exception of somebody that really committed themselves that came from outside wrestling. But then when you had Johnny Ace come in, John Laurinaitis, it really did change. It it went backwards. I'm sorry to say it did. And the story of there's a story that I can confirm because I was working there and I remember hearing it about with Kelly Kelly, where he literally took a Venus swimwear catalog that he had. He put it on a desk and he said, I want that girl. And he pointed to her. He said, get me her. She It was Kelly Kelly. And that's wow. how she, and that's how she got in. That's true. And that it makes me sad because like taking nothing away from Kelly Kelly, I, I you know, I don't no. think she's awful or anything. I don't I've never met her or anything, but it just it makes me sad because there's so many women who are going through the training, working so hard. And this is their dream. 
they'd love to get to WWE and and just to have someone go, yeah, point that one. Like it just, ugh. you know, I just feel bad for them that are, yeah, these people who are working so hard, like men and women who are working so hard to get there or, you know, AEW or wherever, just they're wanting to make their dream come true. And just to have someone being given it, you know, like that is just unfortunate. Well, let's also take note of the fact that I don't know if you if you had heard this story too, but John Laurinaitis was also the guy who, when WWE was interested in bringing in Zach Gowan, um, he hired the wrong one-legged wrestler. Okay, oh. and initially, <laughs> initially, there apparently was another one-legged wrestler. Okay, that he hired by mistake, and they had to inform him. Nope, we want the other one-legged wrestler. Zach so what Gowan. happened to that guy? I don't know. I don't even know who he was. I don't even know yeah. who he was. But I'm trying to remember what I remember what Zach was doing before that. I think because we had seen him. I remember seeing him. Maybe it was Impact or something. Okay. They did the storyline where like he was supposed to be a fan in the crowd and somebody like pulled the wrestler, like pulled his leg off or something. And we were like, yeah, I mean what we got to bring this guy in. I know it sounds hilarious, yeah. but we were thinking, especially from a storyline perspective, you know, like putting him with Brock or doing something like that. And that's kind of the stuff they wound up doing, but yeah, he hired yeah. the wrong one-legged wrestler. Yeah. Well, that says a lot about his qualifications. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to talk, I want to talk to you about slam wrestling. I've had you here for like a half hour. We haven't even brought it up, but like, uh, you know, so many of us, have been reading slam wrestling for so long. It feels like I know Greg is going to listen to this for sure, but it <laughs> feels like they've been around forever. Like when I worked at WWE years ago, we read slam wrestling all the time. And I know it had existed even before that. I know it goes back to the nineties and um, God, it's really one of the most thorough sites out there. I mean, Greg is tireless. I yeah. can't tell you how many times I've been at various events and just autograph signings and things. And there's just some random freelance photographer walking around going like, yeah, I'm taking pictures for slam wrestling. <laughs> like yeah. Greg is just omnipresent. I saw him uh, at uh, the CAC and man, he was like on fire just covering. He was attending it, but he was sitting there on his laptop, just yeah. working the whole time, covering everything. Anytime a wrestler passes away, you just know that's going to be the first place, especially if it's someone that's not a huge name, if it's a more obscure wrestler, yeah. somebody that maybe is not going to get coverage everywhere, it's going to be on Slam Wrestling. I mean, it's an amazing site. Yeah, I've been um, around uh, Slam, I've been with Slam since 2005, and, uh, it, you know, it, it's something I'm proud of because for all the reasons you just said, like, um, when someone passes away, I, I wait for the Slam um, obituary and uh, you know I'm just and Greg is a good friend he's a great mentor he is he's a journalism grad as well from a different school which he always points out to me that he went to the better one but uh, that you sounds know like Greg. Gives, and he's a good mentor he's a he gives fair criticism he also takes like I edit pieces for him still I haven't written as much for slam lately but um he's still constantly, can you have a look at this? Like he, he, that's also a good thing too, that not every site will let somebody look at the work before it's published. And I mean, in rare events, like yesterday with the death of uh, Bray Wyatt, you know, we want to get something out. Something was put out rather quickly and not there were errors or anything in it, but like sometimes there isn't always time for someone to give it a once over, but you know, he's not, uh, 
above having someone look at his work and stuff like that. And just, just the crew of people we've had writing there over the years, you know, and it's just, it's a great site. And I, if people haven't gone slam wrestling.net, like it's, and go back to the archives. Like there's stuff like when we, cause we recently, it's been a couple of years now moved to our own site. We used to be on a news site. So we had to put all the articles um, back or onto this news site with WordPress and just seeing stuff like way before I've been there, just the caliber of writing, just the, and not just your typical stories, not just the typical people you cover, like you mentioned, like people you probably never heard of. So just so much on that. And and the thoroughness. And I think part of it comes from Greg having a legitimate journalistic background, which no offense, not everybody that does so-called wrestling journalism has. And it's not even just a wrestling problem. It's a it's a media problem online across the board where, you know, I'm somebody that came from what they now call legacy media, where I started in the 90s working as an editor on books. Remember those things Uh, for for a book (laughs) publisher Um, and and where we thought our greatest innovation was we were starting to come out with CD ROMs for people that were of the, of the books you know oh <laughs> and there was no such thing as downloading software it you know yeah, yeah. for people that remember you could not download software because the internet couldn't handle it the download right. speeds you couldn't do it it was still like dial up days 56k yeah. right dial up and so you had to buy the physical the software on a physical disc and yeah so like that's how far back i go and man when i first started working in publishing uh, I think the company I worked for had just gotten email. It was like a huge deal. Yes, that's how old I am, folks. Yeah. To the point where they didn't fully trust the email. So yeah. like every time they'd send an email, they would also send a paper memo, which is how we used to do it, a memorandum where it would be there would be a copy printed for every single person who needed to have it. And so anytime I got an email, I also got a printout of the email on my desk yeah, because they wouldn't trust that it was going to go through or that you were going to read it in time. You know, that's how far back. So I went, you know, and then magazines and things. And then to get into online stuff, a lot of times it can be disappointing, especially for people that know when it was different, that the quality control is not the same a lot of the time. And it just becomes literally quantity over quality, which is the exact opposite of how we were taught. Yes. And Greg still, um, bides by that. I mean, you know, not every piece, like I said, is going to get edited, but he's also of the belief in, you know, it's the, it's, I say Greg, but also John Powell, Bob Kapoor, those are kind of the head honchos mm-hmm. of it. Um, that, um, like if somebody, if a big news story happens or somebody dies, they, yes, you could put it out right away, but they like to have the confirmation. Even if every other site is reported on it, if we don't have, like a quality source confirming this, you know, Greg's hesitant to put it on there, which is how it should be. And that's not that everybody doing on slam has a journalism degree because they don't, but the least the people in charge or the core group does. And not that you need a degree to be a successful writer. I'm not saying that, but there's values and rules that you kind of learn about. And that's what I think is so integral to slam, like just having, you know, a source confirmed stories. It just legitimizes and then it gives the readers a better experience and they know what they're reading is accurate because not everything is accurate on the internet. And I also found too quickly that um, 
you know, when I started in publishing, even if it wasn't wrestling, I mean, obviously for everything, there were so many uh, steps before something got published and there were dedicated copy editors and things. And again, it's the nature of the beast, like you said, with everything, even slam wrestling. Uh, speed is required now and there's so much content and there's so much uh time is of the essence that a lot of the steps get overlooked a lot of times and you know some some places it's much much worse than others but i find that like there's also the 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 instinct for everybody that they want to be first yes they want to be first i got to be the first and it's not so much about getting it right or being the best at it. It's just first. Yeah. And you're not even trying to like, should we verify this? Yeah. Should we make sure it doesn't seem like a fourth grader wrote this? You know, it's just, nope, we want to be first, you know? And I think that sometimes could be a damaging instinct in journalism with wrestling or anything. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's part of why I, I still am proud to say I'm associated with slam wrestling you know, even if I've just been doing editing lately, although I do have a, a book story coming um, within, I think, next week. But it just, yeah, because there's always that, um, what's that movie with Will Ferrell or the race car when he says, Talladega Nights, Talladega I think he says, not yeah. first, you're last. Yeah. yeah, but it doesn't have to be that way. And, you know, even if, you know, people always make jokes, so why is there even pro wrestling journalism? Because it's fake, and I hate using that word. But, you know, journalism, whatever you're covering, should still be done well should still have verification you should you know take pride in it and like I come from a newspaper background where uh, you know like we had to have two people had to we print out the page and two people had to initial that they looked at it magazine same still thing. were uh errors sorry I got the notifications coming on my computer um so like that's the background I come from and I yes online is a whole different beast but uh you know you still take some pride take some have at least one other person look at it yeah and the process too in magazines very similar even on wwe magazine and we were not national geographic or time right. okay but on wwe magazine for people that will always wonder about the process and go like well why are you so far behind and all this kind of thing it's like um if we wanted to we probably could have shaved like three or four weeks off the process if we if we didn't give a shit about what exactly. it looked like or anything or how it read but i mean it would go i would write an article right in you know word document send it to the editor and give it the once over just in word then you know it goes to layout you get a preliminary layout then you got the copy editors looking at the layout. You have the designers looking at it. You have the even in the photo department would look at it to make sure that the photos didn't need any kind of work. And, and you'd have like a couple of rounds of that. Then it would go to the printer, right? The printer would send us, uh, we originally called them blues because they were all blue, but then they weren't all blue anymore. And I forget what we called them, but they were like mock-up pages from yeah. the printer. And then you'd have to approve those. Okay, yeah. write your little initials on them. Set my which my initials are BS, which I always get a <laughs> never-ending kick out of. Because I get throughout all of my editorial career, I get to write BS on other people's work. It's just fabulous. But then we'd send those layout pages back to the printer, like, yep, these are good. And then they would go to press and print it. So that whole thing took like a month. All, yeah. all the way around for an entire issue. So you'd have a month's worth of that creation process. And then printing and distribution 
was just about another month. And that's a reason why that's the reason why we were like two months behind, typically, sometimes a little more than that, two and a half months. But that's why that was the nature of the beast. That brings back so many memories because I I read WW magazine. It was a big deal. Like I grew up in a really small community. It was actually wasn't even a town. It was a hamlet. And sometimes the grocery store had wrestling magazines, but it was more of the pro wrestling illustrated and things mm-hmm. like that. They didn't care the WWE one. So I'd have to, um, there's a, a bigger community 30 minutes away. I'd have to go buy it from there. It was always a big deal. And I always loved when Bobby the Brain Heenan's column. That was one of my favorite. I don't know Brain if he scans. actually wrote it. Did, did was, he actually write it? Uh, so I have been interested in that exact topic because I will okay. tell you this. At the time that I worked there, I'm not going to speak to that era because it was different, but I've yeah. talked to like Keith Greenberg and people that worked back yeah. then because my initial assumption was Jesse Ventura is not really writing his thing. Bobby Heenan is not right. really writing his thing. And from what I understand, there was involvement of those people. Good. That makes I me don't, feel <laughs> I don't know if they were writing it every single time, every single word, but they were actually involved with it more than i thought that they were okay you know so i yeah i was impressed by that i didn't i assumed that you know the entire magazine was just written by keith greenberg lugian frito and linda mcmahon <laughs> back then you know that's I what i even read of. it in bobby heenan's voice like yes I mean, his voices, that was just that was the first page I'd, i turned to all the time so well and i've written like i've worked in public relations so i've written speeches for people or like messages from the president of the corporation or whatever so you know, but they always looked at them like it wasn't just, OK, yeah, it's fine. You know, like it's and, you know, it's kind of like how we have um, autobiographies or ghost written. So I do understand, you know, that that happens. But it always it does make my heart a little happy if they had at least some involvement. in the, Well, because the- what you have to remember, especially in those days, was what what the WWE magazine had over every other wrestling magazine. You could knock it all you want. They had the access, direct access to the talent that yes. the other magazines generally did not it, have. Because I will say, I work for Pro Wrestling Illustrated now, and it's very different than it was back in the 80s, where now they really do interview the wrestlers every time, and they okay. don't work quotes. I can tell you this. They do not at all. And I can tell you I found out the hard way because I tried to in some, <laughs> of, in, in some of my first assignments there like 15 years ago. They would be like, Brian, we love you, but it's not 1985 anymore. You know, we're not it's not like, you know, uh, we're writing about, you know, Harley Race's bounty on Ric Flair. Like this is (laughs) we don't really make up quotes anymore. We've actually gotten in trouble with WWE for doing that, where they now will say to us, look, we want to work with you guys. And they do Um, tell us who you want and we'll see if we could arrange it. We'd rather that than you just making up an interview, which is what they used to do. But, which, w- yeah. but the WWF and WWE publications, their greatest strong suit was the access. And I'm telling you, when I was there, I had a list. I still have a lot of them with the talent, everyone in the company, their addresses, their phone numbers, everything, email address. I don't know if it was that big of a thing yet then for all of them. Mm-hmm. But if I wanted to be like, ah, I'm going to call up the undertaker. I need like a quote on this. I could just call up the undertaker. Okay. I'm not saying That's he was gonna, yeah. I'm not saying he was going to answer or get back no. to me right away, but I had the ability to just reach out to these guys anytime I wanted on the spur of the moment. And more often than not, I would get them. And all you had to do when they'd be like, who is this? Who are you with? 
is just say, Shane asked me to call you or <laughs> I'm with WWE magazine and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And maybe once or twice, maybe they might like check you out first and ask somebody be like, I'll, I'll call you back. And they figure out if you're telling the truth. But once they knew, then that was the key to everything. You could talk to anyone you wanted. And that's what we had that the other magazines that's would incredible. never had. Yeah. yeah. Oh, of course they didn't. Yeah. No. And there was a charm to those magazines that when they made up quotes, like, yeah, you don't want, like we we've learned, we've evolved. We want to do better, but there was this charm, like you said, about the bounty on Ric Flair, Harley race and stuff like, like there was those, these, those sensational headlines on the magazines, not WWE, like the pro wrestling illustrated and everything else. And I still have, like, I have a whole bunch um, in my in a closet over there, sorted and put in bags, and they're just they, it was a special time, yeah. And my husband, he well, I he I got the idea because he like you, he uh, loves comic books, and his are all in in bags. So he, he's like, you should really do this for your wrestling magazines. And we've moved so often, so and at my horror magazines, same thing. So yeah, there there was it's magazines get so nostalgic talking about magazines because that's was the early days, and that was my main source of news because, like I said, there wasn't there was no internet. I had two local channels that were Canadian for the longest time. I didn't have cable. So it was a big deal to go when my store, my tiny little grocery store had wrestling magazines. It was a, that was, that's, I, I was telling Kenny Casanova who wrote, um, he was the ghostwriter for Sabu's um, autobiography. Like that was my introduction to Sabu. Cause I wasn't getting ECW on Grayson Saskatchewan's, you know, two CBC or CTV, two local channels. Like that was, a big introduction to wrestling was wrestling magazines. It's made me sad to see magazines kind of like starting to vanish and yeah. not even just, it's not, obviously it's all of them. And, you know, I mean, like, I think what we're seeing now is it's all that's left are either the really, the most mainstream of titles like uh, time and things like that, yeah. or, um, you know, stuff that's like, one shot like the really popular things are like these book magazines that you yeah. see where it's like the history of batman and you know from from time life or whatever the heck yeah. it is and it'll be like this almost it's almost like a book and it's yeah. on the newsstand and you know i get sad when i go to a doctor's office and they don't have magazines like and you know all right why because i look around everyone's sitting there staring at their phone and i'm just like you know what I kind of wanted to page through Entertainment Weekly. Like, what? Yeah. I don't feel like staring at my phone right now. Like this, the at National this Enquirer. Moment. Right. I used something. to love seeing like all the trashy tabloids. Like when I go to the hairdresser or something, that was the best part. It's like, ooh. I want to look at Men's Health or Rolling yeah. Stone or like I'll go to you know the phenomenon now I have of going to a newsstand, a newsstand, quote unquote. Yeah. They have no newspapers or. They have no magazines and I'm, they're basically just selling candy and cigarettes and lotto tickets. And so, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's just sad because magazines provided a lot more than what you find online. You know, it wasn't just news and things. It was like the, it was the in-depth stuff. It was like analysis. It was photography it was being able to sit down and, and dive deep into a topic that you were interested in. And it required you to be able to concentrate for more than 45 seconds. Yeah. And and so uh, I miss them. I miss them a lot. Like when I see them, when I go to places, I, you know, I go to the drugstore and 
magazine sections gone, you know, or it's like covered up with junk because nobody ever bothers to look at it. Or it's like mm-hmm. well, off in the corner as someone that worked in magazines too. It makes yeah. me very sad. Well, even the demise of print, like in newspapers, you know, that's where I first started working after journalism school is newspapers. And actually before that, one of the, I was an intern at a daily newspaper and I used to love picking up the Saturday edition. It was just, it was thick had you know the art reviews like giant sections and and the comics like color and black and white like I love the Saturday paper so I actually went to Saskatchewan for a wedding not too long ago and I was like oh it's Saturday I'm gonna pick up their paper I haven't seen it for the longest time because I live in a different province now so um and it was this thin paper it had two it was two thin sections like there was no giant section just for arts there was no uh, giant sports like it was just two thin sections and it was but there was barely any articles in it I still and, and I think it only had it didn't have black and white and color it only had one of the comics like like I think it just had color and it's just it just made me sad because I was like that used to be a big deal like I know it shows how nerdy I am but getting the Saturday paper and getting your coffee like it was I still like here where I live I live outside of Winnipeg Manitoba home of Chris Jericho uh <laughs> They still have a decent sized Saturday paper and that still makes me happy. But because I had worked at the other place and I was just like, oh, it just made me sad. But no matter what it is, it's just always shrinking. Like I remember when the Sunday New York Times Mm. was literally a cube. Okay, for people that remember, they'll know what I'm talking about. That's how big it was. I know this isn't a visual podcast, but I'm doing it, it like it was if I had to take a guess a random guess, it was probably 10 to 12 inches thick. I'm not even joking. Um, the the entirety <laughs> of the Sunday New York Times yeah. to the point where it was almost ridiculous. Like you'd buy it and you're carrying home something that you could put in a hat box, right? Yeah. And it would fill the whole hat box. And now um, even the Sunday Times, it's more substantial than the other time, the days of the week. But even the Sunday Times now is just like, you know, maybe like four or five inches in thickness. And and it's like sections are gutted. Uh, There's far less coverage. There's far less advertising because people are pulling out of that. Um, It's just scary because it's not something that's being sufficiently replaced by whatever is coming after it. It's just something that's going away, you know. And, yeah. and and wrestling magazines are part of that. We've talked about it on here. Longtime fans will know. Used to go to that newsstand. Yeah. And there would be, look, I'm a little younger than some fans. I remember seeing, anytime you went there, five, six, seven different wrestling magazines for yes. sale. And I've heard people say to me, a dozen back in the day. Like, they remember seeing a dozen different wrestling magazines at any given time on a decent newsstand. And that was so cool. And it that experience is gone. And there's nothing as cool as that now. Well, and I get nostalgic about the newspaper, too, because I remember um, when I was interning and the sports um, writer, the sports editor, he realized I liked wrestling. And so WWE came to to that city. And one of the first big names that I got to interview was Randy Orton. And that was just, you know, as a wrestling fan and a new you know, just out of journalism. No, I was still in journalism school because it was internship. That was just a cool experience. And I got tickets and I got to take my two young cousins with me. We were third row from the ring. That's the best seat I ever had. And it was just, 
you know, it was just such a fun experience. And, you know, um, like I said, it was the first time getting to talk to Randy. And then eventually, years later, I uh, became his uncle, Barry Orton, became one of my best friends. So it was just kind of, and I got to tell them that um, Randy was one of the first big names, like the um, the Orton family that I interviewed. And they all, you know, it was it's kind of was a neat connection. They were all like, was he nice to you? Because it was very early on in his career. Like, yes, he was. He's very polite. Yeah. So yeah yeah randy had that reputation back then even among us we never knew what he was going to do or say uh, i must have had a good day he was he was yeah. Very yeah yeah but uh that's yeah that's the difference of how it was i remember when i worked at wwe i used to work with when wrestlemania would come to whatever city yeah. they would i don't know if they still do this um they would always have in the local paper in that city an advertorial section which for people that don't know is like a paid section of a newspaper where you're basically buying a long form ad where it yeah. almost, it almost looks like a section of the newspaper, but it's not. And it yeah. will be marked advertising clearly. Yes. And um, I would manage that every year. So when we had WrestleMania in Houston, in the Houston paper, I forget if it was the Chronicle or something. I think it's the Chronicle. Yeah. We had a wrestling WrestleMania section wherever we went and yeah. like I would I would be the liaisons of the newspaper staff in that city. And it was a big deal. It was like a yeah. big part of the WrestleMania uh, ramp up. I don't know if they still do it. Probably. I, I, I would venture to guess not, but yeah. I'd like to think that they did. Oh, I should tell you, I, we haven't talked a lot about wrestling books, but I should tell you, I, I'm reading this book you might be interested in. It's um, called Fire and Blood, uh, Autobiography of the Iron Sheik. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> are you wrong. trying to trigger me? Is that what's it's happening? It's Blood and Fire. The Brian's book gave him a little. Um, sorry, I'm only getting to it now, but uh, just started. Uh, of course, it's about the original Sheik, not the Iron Sheik. Um, but uh, yeah, um, just started that. And I'm I, I'm so get, I got get giddy over the sound nerdy. I'm footnotes. And you have so many footnotes in there because I actually keep a bookmark in the footnote section so I can flip every time there's a footnote. So I didn't even plan it that way. You know, I just as I was writing it, there was so much extra information that I was finding related to things that was just awkward to squeeze into the yeah. text. So I started going, you know what, I'm going to just start compiling footnotes. And there were so many of them that I was like, we're going to have. Uh, well, they're really end notes, right? They're not. If I remember oh, sorry. Right. Yeah, yeah and I want, they were gonna be footnotes, but ECW yeah. Press was like, we prefer this is gonna be a thousand page book. <laughs> right. Well, they were like, it's 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 a little and they, they felt footnotes are a little distracting and they'd rather have them all at the end. I don't know. But uh I, I'm I just know. excited I'm, they're there and I'm devouring them because I love you. it. Also gives we've been talking about, you know, um verification, having your sources, legitimate journalism. Yeah. That's what it always says to me, like, and not just in wrestling books, like I love it, like I read a lot of true crime books, um, biographies, autobiographies, things like that. I always get giddy over footnotes. That's just because of, um, you know, having been trained as a journalist and just seeing like, and it shows how much work that the writer has put in. And so that's what I get excited because I know like writing a book is not, I haven't written a book, but I've, you know, written articles. It's not easy so for and especially the subject that you took on in that book was, was so mysterious and not people not wanting to talk about it so i i love and i just want to give you props on that because i just love footnotes endnotes, whatever you want to call them i just 
That's, Thank you. That's my favorite part. The well, the, the end notes, the end notes are almost like, like a, having like a DVD commentary, like a director's yeah. commentary yeah. on a DVD where it's like yeah. another dimension you can add yeah. to things like tangents and things that if you put them in the main body of the text would be very distracting. But if you want to check it out and you get like another yeah. little layer, because yeah, when you're doing that the much bonus research, content, yeah. you're doing that much research, you yeah. wind up with sometimes you wind up with more information than you actually need. And then you go, yeah, but it would be a shame not to include this. It's so interesting. What do we do with this? And, you know, that's why I was glad that they let me do that. I don't know. Um, I haven't started the actual nuts and bolts writing of the gorilla monsoon book yet that I'm working yeah. on. So I'm curious, like I, I don't have a plan in my head if it's going to have end notes or not. I'm just going to have to see as I write it, if the same thing happens where it's just like, overflowing yeah. with stuff that doesn't really fit in the text. And if that happens, I'll totally do um, end notes. I already have in mind a couple of appendices that I want to do for it. Like I did with Ooh, the that's another thing. I love appendices. I'm, gonna, I'm planning <laughs> really to have one appendix that is covering like in the sheet book I had in the sheet book, I had all of his Kobo arena results matches. Yeah. And I had his undefeated streak at the Maple Leaf gardens match by match. In the Gorilla book, I think one I'm going to have is all of his matches with Bruno San Martino, like their whole mm -hmm. history, because they wrestled each other more than anybody else, the both of them. And um, I'm going to have one that's all of the Gorilla Monsoon cliches and gorillaisms that he would use oh, on the air as an to. announcer. I'm going to have a whole glossary of all of them yes. like all the the lower lumbar region of the back and the external occipital protuberance and went red to the baskets right it hit him in the <laughs> red basket yeah. uh, went went to the well once too often um it, it, if he hung Great. if he hung bobby heenan for being a, a an intelligent person they'd be hanging an innocent man things like that uh, captain lou albano is the the world's wa uh, biggest walking advertisement for birth control, you know, all those things. And saying to Bobby Heenan, will you stop? Will you stop? Right. Yeah. You resemble that remark. All that kind of stuff <laughs> will be. Yes, you must. You must. Oh, I'm excited. There will be an appendix in there. I feel like I'm, if I do that, I'm serving both, you know, Gorilla the wrestler and Gorilla the announcer. Like they both. And you're going to make have... readers so happy. I hope so. Just, I oh hope yeah, so. that's gonna be that's gonna be so nostalgic to, because like look, like I said like you were you were coming up with them, and I'm thinking of a whole bunch in my head as you're saying it. Oh yeah, I feel was... like people have warm feelings about oh, Gorilla Monsoon, yeah. and I think that's yeah. the difference from my last book. Like, there aren't many people that have warm feelings. <laughs> warm about fuzzy. This there actually <laughs> yeah. are a few. There are people that knew him personally that like David yeah. Zinsky that do have warm right. feelings about yeah. the sheet, but most people either were terrified of him or. Um, in some cases, maybe didn't even like him that much. I mean, that's happened. The people in the business were not, you know, maybe didn't like him. But with Gorilla, man, everybody, fans oh, and people in the business just seem to adore him. And uh, so I'm I'm very much looking forward to hopefully a good response for that book. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, too. I for, I'd forgotten that was your next book. So I'm glad you brought that up. I, I, when are you going to write about your time in WWE, though? And are you allowed to? Well, I'll, I'll say this. I have wanted to, and I actually yeah. pitched the ideas around even before the Sheik book. Okay. And I couldn't really, to be honest with you, get interest. And I think, oh. I don't know if part of it is that I'm not 
a very well-known person. So it's not like it's like Brian Gewertz does a book about his time writing, you know, in the WWE creative, yeah. uh, you know, and everybody's like, oh, wow, I want to see what that's like. I, I feel like I'm a much, much harder sell, number one. But I also think some of it might be not wanting to tread into those waters with WWE. Like, I don't know if they think I'm going to like blow them, if I'm going to like rip the lid off of it, but I, that's not really the kind of book I want to do. Like a lot of times what I wanted to do is, and this podcast has almost taken the place of that, but I have so many interviews and things that I've, that I did with people there. Some of them are no longer with us and just, uh, in-depth things. I wanted to do a book where I just had a lot of those interviews in it. And I know some people have said, well, we're not sure if WWE technically owns that material. Right. And so, and WWE is never going to do the book with me. So like, there's a lot of complicated reasons why a book like that hasn't been able to happen. And maybe one day, but uh, for now I'm enjoying doing these biographies. Cause I find like, you know, cause we're both wrestling book fans mm-hmm. The books that sell the best and that people seem to enjoy the best are the biographies, are the books yeah. that are about individual people that so that the, that person's charisma or persona or whatever can carry the book, you know. So, like, I'm enjoying doing that for now. What did you no, I can't help put my interview. You're interviewing me I, now. Jamie. Yes, I know. Amazing. It took over the podcast because um, I haven't. Uh, there's a couple. There's a book I want to ask you about because you've had the writer. Um, on your show, and you've also um, contributed some research to this book. I wanted to get your perspective because it's kind of um, a a lot of people have been divided about this book, the Vince McMahon biography, Abraham's book, Abraham Reisman. What you thought. I enjoyed it. And you can read about it on Slam. Like I gave it a great review. Yeah. When I had her on the show, we we, um, got into that actually, even just the polarizing nature of the book. I think... I think the problem that people have with a book like that is when it comes to wrestling books, especially and books that are not autobiographies. Right. I don't think they're used to a book that takes such a firm stand on certain issues and things. They're used Mm -hmm. to books that are much more kind of impartial and don't really have a voice. They're just straight ahead, almost like a textbook. And Josie's a very opinionated person and, and is writing about somebody that people have strong opinions about. And those opinions are going to come out in a book. I mean, like, look, that is the author's point of view. As I said, when I when I did that interview back, that you know, a while, a few months ago, you know, if you don't like it, well, you know, there are books and things out there that are written from a more positive perspective. You can't begrudge an author, a good author of a nonfiction book for incorporating their view and opinions on the events of the book. It's not, as I said in the interview, it's not the Associated Press. Okay, this is not like some anonymous, you know, blurb. This is an author writing in their voice and weighing in on a historical topic or a historical figure. And I think. That that's okay. Yeah, I do too. That was one of the criticisms I read is people, oh, you the author shouldn't have put herself in the book so much. Nonsense. But I I'm such a fan of of hers. Um, I've been a fan since she announced she was doing the book. I started following her on Twitter immediately when just the book announcement came on and just so quirky and so 
intelligent, witty, just just fun. So I, I loved uh, chatting with her. And I'm, I'm glad that she's been on other podcasts talking about it, too. So I just, you know, and I also enjoyed the book. So, you know, I'd like for the book to do well. But I just find her so fascinating and such an interesting voice. Um, in the book, the book has a thesis, whether you agree yes. with the thesis or not. And the thesis that- is that the rise of WWE and Vince McMahon are like paralleled in things that have happened in our political life, in our mainstream culture, kind of like things getting coarser, more confrontational, more personality driven. It's an interesting thesis. You may not agree with it. It's one thing to say, I don't agree with the thesis of this book. I think this person's wrong. That's different from saying this person shouldn't be expressing any thesis or viewpoint or opinion in their book. And I think that's ridiculous. I do too. Yeah, and I think I think people were expecting a Vince McMahon was born on this day. I think, and you know, that's not her, and that's not the book I wanted to read. And if you did, that's that's up to you. But you know, I just I I really enjoyed it. It's one of my favorites of the year so far. Although I'm still reading Fire and Blood, the Iron Sheik book. Just kidding. <laughs> Can I tell you, I've been on shows where they they wanted to have me on to interview me about the book, and very uh, you know, I don't want to say sometimes they'll mangle the title completely. Like that, I'm just the, doing it know. to be. I know you are, but no. But when they get through the title and it's completely correct from beginning to end, I'm always very impressed. <laughs> and I have been on a couple where about ten minutes in, I realize this person thinks that I wrote a book about the Iron Sheik. Oh, no. And I have to very (laughs) diplomatically explain the situation. But again, that points to the reason. One of the reasons why I wrote the book is to dispel some of that confusion. So obviously the book was needed. Um, That that must be so awkward. (laughs) Yeah, I get through it. You know, it's okay. I'm just happy that people want to talk to me, you know, like you. You're a gentleman, too. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And <laughs> and I love how this turned into an interview of me. Why not? Once in a well, while. We can I, have I, that I can't take that hat off. It's just. It's, <laughs> right. You just yeah. slipped into your journalist mode. And which reminds well, I like me to too. talk books, especially with uh, someone who also appreciates wrestling books. So I don't always get to, you know, talk like other than the authors and stuff like uh, like for specifically for a story for Slam. So to just have a fun conversation about books, I don't get wrestling books. I don't get to do that all the time. So. So what's the best way that people can find you and people can read your stuff nowadays or like follow what you're doing and what you're up to? Like, what can people do? Sure. So slamwrestling.net and in the search bar, you can put Jamie Hemmings and you'll see everything I've done. I'm on Twitter at Jamie Hemmings one and Jamie is J-A-M-I-E. That's the way my dad spelled it. So that's how it's spelled because <laughs> so, everybody always wants to say J-A-I. That's my wife's. My wife is J-A-I-M-E-E. Yeah, she's the, double E, yeah. It's the French uh, spelling, yes. Ooh, oh, my dad wasn't that fancy. He just, what was funny is because my dad got kicked out of the room when I was, I was a very breech baby. And my mom and her mom wanted to name me Melissa, which is my middle name. But as soon as my dad got word, oh, you had a girl, he called everybody and said, we had a girl, her name is Jamie. And he didn't <laughs> oh, no. name Melissa, oh, no. so, and then they couldn't change it. But um, yeah, and um People are always, if they want to send me emails, the number 8 at gmail.com. Um, yeah, but Slam, Twitter, I kind of keep Facebook more uh, family and friends, things like that. But uh, yeah, and also the Figure Gore podcast where it's me, Madman, Madman, Pondom, Robert Bellamy and Joe Toth. We're kind of on a bit of summer hiatus right now, 
but uh, we like to talk about horror. We like to talk about wrestling. And uh, so, you know, we have a YouTube uh, channel. So check out past episodes of The Figure Gore. That's great. Horror and wrestling. That's like a great intersection for me. Those are like two big worlds for me. I did a lot of stuff. I had a website called The Vault of Horror. I know. Uh, I, read, for, I read that. Oh, yeah. For, oh, did you? Wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. For years, um, in between when I left WWE and when I really started getting back into writing about wrestling, for a good five, six years, I was doing horror movie stuff, which is another great, great love of mine. I even had a I even had a podcast back then when nobody was doing podcasts. Okay. All right. I'm talking like 15 years ago. It was called Conversations oh. in the Dark. If okay, people want to. Yeah, if people want to look it up or look for it, it was called Conversations in the Dark. And uh, I I actually had, I was proud that I had Lance Henriksen on. He was like my star guest wow. that I had once on there. And and yeah, th- those were fun times. But anyway, we got to have enough David about me. <laughs> we got to have David Howard Thornton before Terrifier 2. He's Art the Clown in the Terrifier. Ooh, yes, Art the Clown. Adam before Terrifier 2 came out. Like, I don't know if we'd be able to get him now, but he was so great. One thing I wanted to talk about... Um, quickly about your vault of horror I remember um, you wrote about the witch and I didn't like the witch but you had said in there you predicted that Anya is Anya Taylor Joy so did I get that right you had said she was going to be big you wrote that in there and then I was like okay like you know she had an interesting look and you know she just that was one of her first movies I believe and then I was like damn Brian was right because she's exploded <laughs> yeah she's a great that actress. was yeah the the um i had a, the site was pretty dormant by then i started oh wow we're getting into vault of horror now <laughs> i i started the vault of horror in two, late 2007 and by about 2011 i was already kind of like moving away from it i was getting into getting back into some wrestling stuff getting a little busy with life stuff and I came back to it. The 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 entry I did on The Witch was in 20, I think it was 2013. It was it was like a comeback. It was like probably the last article that I ever posted on there. Now that I think about it, it was okay. And and it was because I was so blown away by that movie that yeah. I felt like and and I felt like a lot of people were misunderstanding it. And I had to just shout from the rooftops how much <laughs> I loved it. But I'm glad that you saw that. Yeah, now you're making me, yeah, man. If I had a moment to breathe, which I don't, yeah, I would, I would bring back the Vault of Horror in a second. That was fun. Please I could do. hire somebody to write it <laughs> for me, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, Jamie, thank you so much. This has been. I know I took like extra of your time. Oh, it's okay. Um, this has been so great. My favorite kind of conversations on this show, where it just goes wherever we want it to go. So thank you for being uh, coming along for that. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm a fan of it. So I was so happy when you asked and yeah, anytime, anytime. There you have it, folks. My conversation with Jamie Hemmings. Hope you enjoyed that. Jamie, thanks again for coming on Shut Up and Wrestle as a guest. And I hope that those of you who are listening to the sound of my voice will continue to listen to Shut Up and Wrestle for more fascinating guests each and every week. Next week for episode 92, we are going to have a return guest, Bradley Craig. For those of you that remember, one of the earliest episodes of Shut Up and Wrestle was with Brad, where we talked about UK wrestling history and Brad's unique experience also as a fan of American wrestling 
growing up in the United Kingdom. So we have a lot more to talk about, as Brad and I always do when we get together. And that will be next week's episode of Shut Up and Wrestle, episode number 92. There's more great stuff on the way. I'm excited to announce another upcoming guest. It is in the can. The conversation has been had, and I can't wait to share it with you, Mr. Brian Alvarez. That's right. None other than Brian Alvarez himself of Figure Four Weekly will be joining me on Shut Up and Wrestle in the weeks to come. Thanks to Mike Sempervivi, his regular co-host, for making that interview possible. That was a fun one. Again, as I said, can't wait to share it with you. Also on the way to Shut Up and Wrestle, Andrew Wilson, former WWE Titan Tower employee, former creative director at WWE. That's a good one that you are going to want to listen to, so keep checking back for new episodes of Shut Up and Wrestle. And where can you listen? There's our website, suawpod.com. And in addition to that, you can also find Shut Up and Wrestle wherever you get your podcasts. That means Spotify, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, all the usual places. Go and check out Shut Up and Wrestle. While you're at it, join the Facebook group, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. We are always welcoming new members. Other projects that I work on. The Wrestling News, each and every morning from Arcadian Vanguard. Get it at thewrestlingnews.com or go to the Arcadian Vanguard YouTube page. My books, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik, and Superheroes, the history of a pop culture phenomenon from Ant-Man to Zorro, are available now wherever books are sold. And autographed copies from yours truly are available. Reach out to me at Solomon at yahoo.com. The magazines that I write for, Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Find it at pwi-online.com. The women's 250 issue is on sale now. Inside the Ropes magazine, you can get at insidetheropesmagazine.com. If you're looking for me on social media, I can be found on Twitter or Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. On Facebook, my author page is Brian Solomon Writer. And on any of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my author website out on the World Wide Web. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you to push it to the limit and walk along the razor's edge. So long, wrestling fans.